Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. If you would, turn with me to the book of 1 John. That's where we've been at for some time, and we will be there, I think, up to uh, Easter. 1 John, and uh, as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of a recap where we've been in this book. Um, we've been in chapter 3, and chapter 3 is really a condensed section of the book. One particular thought that John has on his mind, and that is uh, what the children of God are like. What the children of God are like. The first two verses, I've mentioned this now for multiple weeks, the first two verses he's celebrating that we are adopted into the family of God, and that's an amazing thing. Um, Knowing that, what should we expect to see in ourselves and in the lives of those who also claim to be in the family of God? Two characteristics, and verse 10 is that transitional point. So verses 3 through 10, the first characteristic that you are to expect in all children of God, that is righteousness. And then the second characteristic, the one we'll be looking at today, is love. Love. And so this isn't going to be like a groundbreaking, I never knew that, I never thought about that kind of sermon. Christians are to be loving. So it's not profound and groundbreaking in that regard, but I think it is profound in the, how essential it is and how difficult it is. But that's from verses 10 through verse 24, the, the rest of the chapter. All true Christians are to be loving. Let me read the, the verses that we'll be looking at today to put them before you, and then we'll walk through them a little bit today, okay? First John chapter 3, verse 10, are you there? Good, just me. Well, listen then. <laughs> All right, I see one person. Lynn, you're there. All right, verse 10, follow along in your copy of God's Word or on the screen. This is what God's Word says. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, He was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. For if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, 
God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he's given us. It's the word of God. You know, love is a massive theme in the word of God, but even particularly in the book of 1 John. I don't know if you've noticed that, but in chapter 2, the bulk of the chapter really, I think verse 7 to 17, we looked at that multiple weeks, uh, both the call to love and the call not to love. Like We're called not to love? You can go back to the podcast and look at that or the last part of there, chapter 2. But John talks in chapter 2 about love extensively. And then now the present passage, the second half of chapter 3. And get ready because in a few weeks we'll be looking at the second half of chapter 4 where love, that word, is used a crazy amount of times. He picks back up on this theme nearly every chapter of the entire book. Love's a really big theme for John. And love specifically, I don't know if you caught this, but in what I just read, he's specifically talking about love for the church, for those in the church, for, for the Christian, for the brother and the sister in Christ. So we kind of have to make room for that in our theology. You have to make a framework for that in your own life, that Jesus certainly says, love your enemies. No doubt about it. Love everybody. Love the person that's hard to love. Love the person that hates Jesus. Love, love, love. But there is a special, and I would say additional, love for the church, for God's bride. Yes, love everybody, but there is an additional, an exceptional love that is reserved for God's people. So John talks about love, and every time he talks about love here in chapter 3, he's saying love for who? The brothers. So in-house love, that's within the confinements of the church, love, it's not just ideal or preferential because it's not optional. It's essential and it's vital and it's telling if you're of the church or not. So, walking through this passage, verse by verse today, um, we're going to ask two questions, really. If you're a note taker, this might help you out. Firstly, we're going to ask the question, how should we love one another? How should we love one another? It's 11 through 18. Verses 11 through 18. And then after we ask that question, how, what does it look like? Then we're going to ask why. Why should we love one another? John, I think, answers both of these. How should we love one another and why should we love one another? Firstly, let's ask that question. How should we love our church family? We start with what not to do. I think when you're trying to tell somebody what to do, you firstly lead with what not to do. 
Because sometimes what not to do is actually more clarifying and helpful than explaining what to actually do. I, uh, whenever, before I started youth pastoring, I was a youth leader underneath the youth pastor at that church. And, uh, and so I, I served underneath him and I was able to watch and, and, uh, and he kind of groomed me in some regards to become the youth pastor at that church. And uh, I remember we were at a youth retreat uh, and, and for youth, of course, you know, there's always games and there's activities and there's prizes and, and all these different things for the team that wins. And, and uh, it really blew me away night one of, of the whole youth retreat he has this massive box. Like, I don't even know how big that TV screen was, but a giant TV box. And he's like, first prize for the kid that has the most, most points by the end of the weekend. And I'm like, first off, does that come out of the youth budget? Right? I mean, I'm just thinking, that's crazy. That's a giant TV. And so, like, all the kids, of course, are, like, trying the hardest that they can to be able to get points so that by the end of the weekend, they're coming home, and they're giving mom and dad a massive plasma screen TV. And... By the end of it, this sweet girl, one of the most gentle girls in the whole youth group, had the most points, and he says, come on up, take it, and she comes out, and she's so excited, and she just lifts it. It's an empty box, and you could just see, like, her face just, just dropped. I was like, well, that's what not to do. That was a terrible, why, how could you do that? You know, like, that's just so mean. And um, so you learn what to do, but oftentimes you learn what not to do, you know, and uh, when you watch others' examples, and I just still remember, I actually texted her older brother today, and I was like, hey, I'm telling that, that story today, and he goes, oh, man, that was so bad, <laughs> that was so bad. And um, what not to do, that's what John starts with. He starts with, don't do this. Don't do this. And he gives... The example of Cain. Let me read verses 11 and 12 again. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. What not to do, he starts with. And, and from the beginning, when John says, we have heard from the message of love from the beginning, he's talking about from the beginning of God's revelation to man. That is, from the beginning of the book. From Genesis. Particularly Genesis 4. If you know what happens in Genesis 4, it's the story of Cain killing his brother. So he says, we've, we've heard God's commands about how we should treat our brothers from the very beginning, guys. Genesis 4. Right out the gate, God has shown us, told us, by the negative example of Cain, what love should look like and how we should not act towards our brother. Now, you might be thinking after reading that, like, well, I'm good. Last I checked, I have zero tallies on the murder score sheet. I'm not like Cain. <laughs> I'm good. I haven't killed anyone. I just can't stand their guts, right? I certainly don't want to look at them in the hallway. If I can, I'm going to avoid them at all costs. I can't stand them. Everything about them drives me nuts. But I haven't killed them, so. You're not good if that's the case. You see, John sees hating 
and despising as just as destructive as murder. That's what he says in verse 15. If you just drop for one second to verse 15. What's he say? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You are Cain. You are Cain. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And he gets this from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. It's Jesus talking and he says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry, who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. If you haven't killed him, but you can't stand him, and you try to do everything you can to not have a relationship with him, you're Cain. And I'd be Cain if that were me. It's true for all of us. Hate is rooted in murder, or rather murder is rooted in, in hate. And it's not like that's a, the exception, hating people. It's not like that's like the unique individual really struggles with hate. Actually, the Bible would say that the majority will hate and all of us have it in us. It's not the exception, it's the rule, the standard in human depravity. You can see it in verse 13. We're back up and we're just going verse by verse still. See it in verse 13. Says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The world, not the exception, not the few, the populace of the human race hates you. Don't be surprised, don't be caught off guard, don't be amazed. The world follows Cain's example of hating and despising. And we, church, Christian, should be the opposite. From Cain. We should be the opposite from most of the people in this world. We should be, verse 14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Do you see the correlation there? Cain took life and brought death to it. He says we should be the opposite. You should be people who went from death to life. You ever know somebody, don't raise your hand if it's the person sitting next to you. You ever know somebody that just is so hateful? Really, that is hateful and it would bring you down and dampen your mood, other people's moods. I mean, just getting real practical here. It's just like their natural default disposition in how they would act around other people. It brings you down and it dampens you because hatefulness takes the beauty and joys of life and it brings death to it. We should be life-giving, not death-bringing. We are people who went from death to life by God's grace, resurrected into newness of life in him. Though we were walking dead bones, he brought life to us. And so we should, we should bring life to other people, not death, by showing love, not hate. So I guess the question for you to honestly consider and reflect on is, are your actions and your interactions towards other people 
life-giving. Seriously, think on that. This message isn't for the person sitting next to you. This message is for you to think about. Do your actions bring life? Or death to other people? Whoever does not love abides in death. So John starts with how not to be, and then he says, well, here, let me give you the perfect model. Now that I've told you what not to do, let me tell you what to strive to do. And the perfect model that we see is that of Christ. Let's read the first part of verse 16 here. It says, by this we know love. That's helpful. That he laid down his life for us. That's how we know love. That's how we see love. That's what we should set as our standard for love, is how he loves. And this would be, if you're not familiar with Christianity, I don't want to presume everyone is, this is what we would call the gospel. Okay? It's a, a word, if you're interested in it, it's really old, uh, that basically talks about the good news, is how it could translate into English today. It's the good news, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, specifically and it said he laid down his life for us. And you're like, what in the world? That has nothing to, I don't even know Jesus. I, that, that's a long time ago. How did that affect me today and how I'm living? What's the good news about Jesus? And that is, let me just tell you, the incredible love of God, the good news of God. It's that you, believe it or not, rebel against God every day. You do. And that's what in Christianese we would call sin. You rebel against God because God sets a standard for how all Christians should live underneath his rule. The creator, he gets to say what we should and shouldn't do. He created us. And when we don't do that, which you don't, and I don't, we rebel against God. And you'd think, well, that's not a big deal. But God says it's a huge deal. It actually makes us deserving of death. The Bible in Romans 3 says the wages for your sin, or the, the payment that you're due, your wage at the end of the week for sin is death. For rebelling against God. And yet God loves his people too much to give us what we deserve. He loves his church too much to give them what they deserve. And so while we were still sinners, the Bible says, or enemies of God, he came and died for you. He died for me. And this is the model of love. That while we were his enemies, while we were spitting in his face and how we lived every day saying, I don't care about what you say. I don't care about what you want. I'm going to do what I want. In the midst of all of that, he says, I love you so much that I will even lay down my life for you. Despite how you're acting. Graciously giving us life instead of death. And this is the model for love. This is how we know love. This is how we can see love, is that he would do that. So following Jesus' example, what does it mean to love? What's it mean to, to love, knowing that? Well, as the great theologian John Mayer said, love ain't a thing, it's a verb. So let me tell you how you love Firstly, Jesus-like love is sacrificial. 
it's sacrificing. Jesus-like love is sacrificing. If you're going to see Jesus' love and say, I'm going to try to do that and live like that, it starts with sacrificing for others. And we can just read that in the rest of verse 16. We know this. He laid down, we know of that he would lay down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus-like love is sacrificing. Let me say, even though John says it's laying down your life, I would say it's not just. You don't just love people by paying the ultimate price. If, you, if the need ever arose, a gunman comes in, and you jump in the way to save the person next to you. That is love, but... That's not the only way that you can sacrifice for your neighbor because most, most of us, that time's never going to come, right? Right? So we're just off the hook. We never have to love our neighbor because honestly, it's probably never going to happen where it's life or death for that person and we have the thought process to jump in the way for them so we're just never going to have to love the way Jesus loved. No. You see, sacrificing the way Jesus sacrificed can be lived out daily in small ways and in big ways, in tangible ways. Dare I say, even monetarily, or with, Megan brought up during Sunday school, even with your time, sacrificing your time and your energy. It's not just by paying the ultimate price. It's laying down your life every day for people's benefit. Let's read verse 17, and he even says this. He even mentions monetarily. If anyone has, this is right after verse 16. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's not just jumping in front of a bullet. It's using your means and all that you have for the person's benefit. You see, love... Jesus-like love is inconvenient for you. Let me tell you, it wasn't convenient for Jesus to do what he did. Love is inconvenient. And it will lead us to go against what self-preservation would say do. That's what love will lead you. It will lead you a different path than self-preservation. Think about just how you parent your child, right? I mean, getting up at 3 a.m. is not my idea of a great night, right? Or just adjusting your financial goals, what I want to spend money on because diapers are so darn expensive, right? Can I get an amen? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's, love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial and it's the opposite of Self-preservation. And it's the same with loving your church member, loving the person right next to you. Love is with an open hand, not a closed hand, because this is mine. And remember, John isn't talking here, if you read that, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, John's not talking in terms of excess. If you have two of what your brother needs. If you have 
enough for you and then also left over for him what he needs. John's not talking in terms of excess here, is he? This is generosity that is sacrificial. It's simply that I have and he needs more and so I give. I have. Not more than enough. Not enough for both of us. I have. He needs and I give. This is love. And that leads to the second characteristic of Jesus-like love. Jesus-like love is not just sacrificial. It is, but it's also practical. It's sacrificial and it's practical. It's not just in words or talk, he says in verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, that's not to discount loving people in your words because you should. Proverbs is chock full of saying how important your words are and so we should bridle our tongue and we should be generous and kind with our words. So it's not to discount your love in words, but it's to say your love can't just be in words. And Thank God that he says he loves us, but he doesn't only say he loves us, but that he showed it in laying down his life for us. I had a leader um, that, that served uh, in our youth group, and uh, he, he said he loved the youth group, and uh, he, he cared so much, um, but he just didn't show it. He would, he would be late to nearly everything. I had him come speak. He slept in, even though service was like at 6.30 at night, college student, and uh, he just profusely told me, I care, I care, I care, I love this, I love this youth group, I love, I love the students, I love, I love, I love. And I'm like, man, where's, where's it at? Where's it at? You know? If you say you love, but then you see a need and you don't want to help, your love doesn't look like Jesus. Let me just say that again for that to just soak in. If you say that you love the person in the hallway, the person in the pew, the person across the room, because odds are you might not want to sit next to them, so you're sitting on the opposite side of the sanctuary. That person, if you say you love them, theoretically, but you see a need in their life and you don't want to help it, your love doesn't look like Jesus. James says the same exact thing, that fake love exposes fake Christianity. Fake love exposes the fake Christian in James chapter 2, verse 14. I think we've got it. James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? It's true with love and works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poor, poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace... Be warm and filled. Without giving him the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. True love is always seen. It's not just heard. It's seen in your finances. It's seen in your time. It's seen in your energy. 
It's seen in your relationships and the materials that you own. Love is not just heard, it's seen. And if it's just heard, it's not Jesus-like love. I think that's going to be a great reason why we're going to have small groups in May, launching in May, a couple months from now, is so that we can get in really close groups with one another, know each other's needs, and meet those needs. Not just show up on Sunday morning, how you doing, doing good, shake a hand, walk away. But creating opportunities and venues for us to say, no, but like how are you actually doing? And my attention is just focused on hearing how you are and how I could make you better. I think small groups are going to be very helpful for us loving each other the way Jesus loves us in practical and sacrificial ways. So that's how we love, not like Cain, but like Jesus. And now, why should we love our church family? Why should we love our church family? Which is kind of a silly question, right? Why would you not love God's people if you claim to be a part of it? There's endless reasons, right? Firstly, because it's commanded by God. I think it's a way to worship God, taking care of his bride, being kind to his bride. Worship to God. I think it's a witness to others that we would be unified and kind to one another. There's a lot of reasons why, but John here specifically says, loving like Jesus gives you an assurance of your salvation. And I don't know about you, but I want that. It says that in verse 19. Let me turn back there. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our hearts before him. By what, John? By what shall we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him? Well, I think he's talking about the verse right before. Verse 18. That we should love like him, not just in words, but also in deed and in truth. That we love like that. By this we shall know. If you really love practically, like Jesus did. If you love tangibly, like Jesus did. By that you will know that we are of the truth. And it'll reassure your heart before God. John says one of the reasons why you should love the church is because it'll give you assurance of your salvation. Now let me tell you, I don't know very many things that are more precious in this world. Things that are more sweet to have in this world. than the assurance that God and I are good, and I have eternity with him. I want that, and I want that for you, and I hope you want that. It is priceless to know with confidence that you are saved, and you're a child of God. And so I hope when you look at your life, that you have confidence. When you observe how you act, with other people, when you look at that and you think about that, that from looking at that, you can have confidence that Jesus is a part of your life and he's transformed how you act towards other people and you can see it tangibly. That clearly he has transformed your life and the way you love people is fruit of it. And therefore you can go back and say, yeah, Jesus has definitely been here. The problem is, is that our evil and wicked hearts constantly 
make us guilty before God. They do. I have a heart that I have to fight every day. Verse 20. Let me read it. Just for context, verse 19 too. But this, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him that we love. For whenever our hearts condemn us, that's a lot. God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. You know, in verse 17, if you notice that, if you're looking at it in your copy of God's word, verse 17, he's talking about if anyone has the world's goods, but he closes his heart against his brother. So we will close our hearts against our brother sometimes and say, no, this is mine. I don't want to give you that. And when we close our hearts against them, our hearts then now, verse 20, condemn us before God. When I close my heart against you, my heart condemns me before God. And even then, let me tell you, God is greater. God is merciful, God is kind, and God is forgiving. Even after a lifetime of closing your heart against a brother or sister in Christ, he can redeem that. As we were just singing today, right? Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. His mercy is more. As Judah says, mercy more. He loves that song. But ideally, our heart wouldn't turn us, uh, our hearts wouldn't be turned against our brother and therefore condemn us before God, right? That's, that's what it says in verse 21. That's the ideal. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So ideally, our hearts are open to God and therefore not condemning us, or open to our brother, and therefore it's not condemning us, and we can have assurance. So the last few verses here. John kind of like gives us a step-by-step progression of your assurance. And so listen to this. This is our assurance. Firstly, God honors us when we keep his commandments. When you keep God's commandments, God honors us. Let me read verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Well, what are his commandments? I want to do them. Well, he gives two in particular. It's verse 23. This is his commandment, that we would believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. So he honors us when we follow his commands, and his commands are specifically to believe in Jesus and love one another. Do you notice here his command isn't just to love? It's to love and to follow the name of Jesus. See, if your love, this, this is important because the world gets this wrong. They think it's just love. Everything's just about love. How do you define love? I don't know, just love. Now, love, but also acceptance of Jesus. And that is his teachings and his life. The ethics he gives us. You see, if your life is based on just love and it's not the also believing in and following the name of Jesus, you've missed it huge. You've you've missed it. Big time. But whoever does this, that's loving and following Jesus, 
Whoever keeps these commands clearly has God. You can have assurance in that. Verse 24, it's the last verse. Whoever keeps his commands, that's loving and believing in Jesus, certainly abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. So, like I told you, it's not profound and groundbreaking stuff, but it's vital. How many of you guys know it's really hard to do? Just encourage you to love one another today. And I would guess that you probably have names in the back of your head where maybe you could work on that a little bit. I hope you do, because we always have growth to have, right? Let us love one another, because this is evidence to other people of our real faith, and it's assurance for us of our salvation. It's a big deal, and a lot hangs on it. And let the way that we love, how we choose our love to be shown, let it be shaped by God's love towards you. What he did for you, let that shape the way you love others. That he would lay down his life for you. Sacrificially and practically. Inconveniently. Let me pray for us this morning. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 